Uh, one of the lessons the COVID pandemic taught us is not to hold on to our plans too tightly because we have very little control over our lives. We might make a promise, but that doesn't mean we can keep it. There's so much that can get in the way of keeping our promises. That's the way it is with us, but it's never like that with God. One of the messages of these verses is that God keeps his promises. Nothing gets in the way of God keeping his promise. Mary recognises this. She's been told that she'll have a baby who will be an eternal king, following his ancestor, King David. And then right at the end of our reading, verse 54, uh, she says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. There it is. He promised it and he kept his promise, which God always does, even if he seems to be taking a long time to do it. We saw last week how God had been silent for 400 years. He promised through the prophet Malachi to send another prophet like Elijah who would get people ready for the day of the Lord, a day of justice and salvation. That was a promise. And then 400 years later, finally, an angel announced that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth would have a son and this son would go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to do what? To get ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now it had seemed like God had left them alone. 400 years of no prophets, no heroes, no judges, no kings, no messages. For the best part of 600 years, Israel had suffered at the hands of one foreign army after another. Powerful nations that demanded tribute controlled their economies and their government and restricted their freedom. Israel was never free, always under threat of violence and subjugation, slavery. Babylon, then Persia, then Greece under Alexander the Great, and then a couple of hundred years later, Rome took over. And with each new change, Israel hoped that their situation would change, that this time God would hear their prayers and save his people. And they hoped because God had promised that that's what he would do. One prophet after another, across hundreds, even thousands of years, God had promised that he would return, return to save, promised to send a king, a rescuer, who would set things right. But the decades came and went. One foreign oppressor was replaced by the next. And still God was silent. And still God was absent. In fact, it feels much like the experience of people today. Uh, People who refuse to believe in God because it seems that he's left us alone. They look at the world. They look at the injustice and the chaos and the wars, or maybe their own personal suffering, and they say, if God is really there, why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he stop the wars? Heal the cancer, protect the innocent, bring justice. They doubt that God sees the problem or cares about us or is powerful enough to do anything. 
Now, it's a really difficult question. Why doesn't God deal with suffering? I don't have all the answers, but the events of Christmas give me the confidence about what I do know. In the midst of all of the mess that our world is in, Christmas reminds us that God sees, God cares, and he does something about it. Christmas reminds us that God steps in, that God keeps his promises. Uh, Let's look at how he does it. Uh, So stage one, last week, an angel delivers a message to an old man called Zechariah. This week, stage two, six months later, verse 26, the same angel travels to Nazareth, a town in Galilee in the far north of Israel. Uh, And he's got a message. But it's not a message for a leader or a prophet or a priest, but a young girl. Verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Despite the silence, despite the suffering, despite appearing that God was absent, God is with Mary. Which means that she is highly favoured by God. Now that seems like good news, seems like good news to me, but what's Mary's reaction? Verse 25. Uh, Verse 29, she's greatly troubled at his words and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. Now, I don't think it's because she's, you know, an Eeyore, you know, always sees the bad side of everything. I think it's more to do with the messenger than with the message. This is Gabriel, a supernatural being sent from God himself. His actual name means mighty man of God. And, And here he is in all his blazing wonder in front of this probably young teenage girl. Well, the normal reaction in the Bible to meeting an angel is that people collapse in trembling terror. So perhaps Mary's reaction is fairly mild, considering she's only greatly troubled uh, rather than a, a wobbling mess. She's greatly troubled. But the greeting is the easy part of the message. The angel continues, verse 30, Don't be afraid, I'm not here to harm you. Instead, verse 31, You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now those are familiar words, I think, to many of us, especially at this time of year. Maybe they tend to wash over you. And so we lose something of what an extraordinary announcement that is. Was there ever a more momentous message delivered in such a small number of words? His name will be Jesus, which means God saves. God is about to act to rescue, and he's going to do it through this human called Jesus. Jesus will be great because God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. David was the greatest Jewish king ever, and yet Jesus will be greater because his reign will never end. He will rule an eternal kingdom. Now these are promises that God had been making through his prophets for centuries and now they were beginning. 
And yet while we concentrate on the second part of the message, perhaps, understandably, Mary got stuck on the first part of the message. Did you notice that? You will be with child. That's the bit she focuses on. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? It's funny, isn't it? It's the being with child that has her stumped. Not the son of the Most High, the throne of his father David, a kingdom that will never end. It's like she hasn't even heard that. How will this be? I'm not married. The angel answers, verse 35. God's Holy Spirit will overshadow you and miraculously you will be pregnant. The Spirit who hovered over the water at creation in Genesis chapter 1 and brought life out of nothing and order out of chaos and light out of darkness hovers over a young girl and brings new life where before there was nothing. And as supporting evidence, he adds that even Mary's old relative Elizabeth is expecting another miracle. And the angel concludes, verse 37, I think referring to both, to to both Mary and Elizabeth, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, Now there's an answer to people who say, maybe people today, Why doesn't God do something? They think that he's not able to do something, doesn't have enough power, but the angel says nothing is impossible with God. He can step in. He can cure that cancer. He can bring peace in that war. He can protect that child. He can end that drought. He is doing it. He is at work every day. Sometimes it's miraculous, with no other reasonable explanation. Other times it it doesn't seem to be that miraculous. It just seems to be luck or medicine or surgery or politics. But God is still behind all of those things. God is at work. So how does Mary receive this incredible news? Better than Zechariah, who we looked at last week. Verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Bring it on, she says. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want God stepping into their life, keeping his promises, sending a saviour for his people, bringing in his eternal kingdom of goodness and peace and righteousness. Who wouldn't want to be part of all of that? Bring it on, she says. And a few verses further on, jump down to verse 46. Uh, She's so pleased she breaks into song. It seems to be a song. It's called the Magnificat. It's the Latin word for glorify. Uh, Verse 46, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. No wonder she's singing. With all the suffering that Israel endured in its history, 
She's looking forward to God bringing some justice, restoring the balance. He sees her. He sees Mary even in her low situation. And she goes on as she sings, describing what God is like and and how he, he turns things upside down. Verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. From her own experience, she looks at how God is working in the world, past, present and future, and she sees his hand everywhere. She sees his hand restoring the weak and needy and bringing justice against oppressors. She sees his hand working righteousness. In other words, she's got the eyes of faith to see God beginning to bring in his eternal kingdom. And why has he done it? Because that's what he promised. He's keeping his promise. Verse 54, he's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said. And yet even though Mary is looking forward to what God will do through Jesus, notice that she's actually looking back. She's looking back to what God has already done. He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered. God's reliability and faithfulness in the past give her confidence that he will act in the future. Now that's the same logic that we can use. We can say, why doesn't God do something? Well, Christmas says, God did. He did something. The fact of God stepping into history that first Christmas, hearing the prayers of his people, sending a saviour, gives us confidence that he will do it today, that he will hear our prayers and change our situations. We need that confidence. As we look around the world, as we read our newspapers, there are wars and famines and disasters. There's disease and injury probably things in your own life that make you wonder whether God is involved. And yet God is saying, I do care. I care for Mary and Israel. I also care for you. I care so much. I sent my only son to die a cruel death. You see, God hates the mess that this world is in more than you do. He's proved it. And the good news for us is that one day God will look at the mess of this world and one day he will say, enough. I've had it. I I can't stand to bear the pain, to see the pain anymore. I I can't bear what people are doing to one another. And when that day comes, he he will bring this world to an end He will finish everything up and he will set things right. In his second letter, Peter answers doubters who don't think Jesus is coming back. They think God's not interested. They think that because he hasn't come back yet, he won't come back ever. 
And so Peter answers these doubters. 2 Peter chapter 3. Listen to what he says. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the, day, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. People think the suffering in the world at the moment means that God doesn't care. But the reality is that God is delaying his final act of judgment because he cares. Not because he doesn't care. He's patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance. I've said that that's good news. Well, it's good news and it's bad news, isn't it? Because justice is always good news and bad news. It's bad news for the guilty. It's good news for the innocent. And when God's justice comes on that day, it'll be bad news for the powerful who exploit the weak. But it'll be good news for the humble. It'll be bad news for the greedy rich. But it'll be good news for the hungry. Just like Mary recognised. God sent Jesus the baby to begin his rescue mission. Then Jesus the man died in our place and, and won that restoration. And one day God will send Jesus the judge to finish everything. And the way you treat Jesus determines whether that day will be good news for you or bad news. You ignore Jesus now and he will ignore you then. Follow Jesus, obey him, live for him now and he will welcome you then. God is delaying judgment because he wants people everywhere to come to him in repentance to recognise and turn from their sin and rebellion. Uh, follow Mary. Believe God's promises. Say with Mary, bring it on. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. And just like Mary, we're going to respond in a moment to God's message and sing about that great rescue. Uh, so make it a song that comes from your heart when we get to that point. Uh, let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are just. At times, as we look at our world, we can doubt those things, but we pray that the message of Christmas will affirm and confirm and Make sure to us uh, the reality of these truths, that you care, that you're powerful, that you see, that you will bring justice. Uh, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Ja, gerne singen.